This is David Marquet, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? So hi, everyone. Uh, my name is David Marquet, and what I do is help leaders create environments where people feel valued so that they contribute and they contribute so they feel valued. And I used to be a nuclear submarine captain, so this is a bit of a shift for me. Oh, I, I actually thought it was kind of funny that you started with that one. So you, you, you outlined it in reverse because you started out with the nuclear submarine captain. But, but in that, so he's also the author of, um, of an absolutely awesome book and, and workbook, Turn Your Ship Around. And it's based off of your experience as being a nuclear submarine captain. Now, <clears throat> I, I kind of, I don't know where to start. Should we start with how did you transition from nuclear subcaptain to author? Or should we start with how you transitioned the Santa Fe submarine? I, whichever one you want to start with, let's start there and hear the story. Yeah, so here, here's the deal. Uh, when most people talk to a nuclear submarine captain about leadership, they think they're going to be informed on how to get people to do things better, how, how you know, a better way to get people to do what you want them to do. And what I discovered accidentally as the captain of the USS Santa Fe was that bad leaders might give bad orders and good leaders give good orders, but great leaders actually give no orders. So here's what happened. I, when I was growing up, I, I just wanted to be a submarine captain. I'm not sure why, but, but miracle of miracles, the Navy selected me some 19 years after I graduated from the Naval Academy. It was so exciting. And I was on my way and had a year of schooling, and I was going to be the captain of the USS Olympia. And at the very last minute, the Navy decided to send me over to the USS Santa Fe. Now, the Santa Fe was the Enron, the Enron of submarines. The, the, everyone hated it there. Everyone was trying to leave the ship. The ship was doing poorly on our inspections. And oh, by the way, it was a different kind of submarine. And the captain on the Santa Fe quit abruptly. And the Navy hadn't had time to send an, another guy through a year of school. And so they put me over there. And it was Alice in Wonderland time. I'm walking around the ship and all the equipment is the sort of newest digital stuff, not what I was trained on. And I gave an order that the crew, very quickly, I gave an order the crew couldn't do, but they tried to do it. And that's when I realized, you know, we had it all wrong. Leadership wasn't about getting people to do what they're told. Leadership was about getting people to think. And that was the start of a, an amazing journey where I made the decision not to give orders and the crew stepped forward and we created, not only did we turn the ship around, but we created more leaders than any other submarine. And that's the real power of the story. And that's why I ended up writing the book 10 years later, because I didn't really realize what happened until all this time passed and this pattern emerged. But it's been, it's been fun. Yeah, I, I love, you know, when I read the book, it really, as you, as you I'm sure know, and, and longtime listeners know, Leader Lab is a podcast where really about that intersection between practice and 
uh, and the theory and models and people who have done the research on it and where that actually meets. And there's a lot of people. What I what I found most interesting, you know, I started this whole thing with this desire of like I'm gonna I'm gonna help people lead smarter by understanding the research. And what I find is that a lot of great leaders figured it out anyway without actually knowing. And so I read, the, I'm reading the whole book and I'm reading. And I'm thinking about like transformational leadership theory and this idea that good leaders create, you know, more leaders and and transform individuals and therefore transform the whole organization. And you see that one of the things I think is most interesting, though, that I've been wanting to ask you is, I mean, on a personal note, it doesn't have to go in the book. It's not on permanent record. It'll just be on digital record for as long as we have the server. Um, How difficult was it to get that mentality into others? You know, you had the realization of giving the order and having the order uh, be attempted, even though it was impossible. But I feel like, you know, I've spoken at the Naval Academy twice. And and from what I know about most military organizations, it's a very order centric organization. So, I mean, I feel like the biggest part of this resistance is actually the followers themselves. It's great to say, I want to make you all into leaders. But to say, and what that means is you're going to have to make decisions and you're going to have to, you know, I'm not going to give you orders. You're going to have to figure it out. That's probably met with a lot of resistance. Well, uh, you'd be surprised. Um, I think some people do resist. And I think at the core of that resistance is fear. Because when I say, look, this is your decision. Right. You you decide. No one's going to check you. No one's going to follow up. No one's going to come around with a check clipboard and make sure that you did it. Um, that can be scary for a lot of people. Because you can't hide from the responsibility at that point. What we did, what we did was some some of the things that we did were so simple, like there'd be a Navy form and it'd have four signatures on it. And the second to the bottom signature would be the department head and the bottom signature, the approval signature would be mine, the captain's. And I would just take these big black markers and we would just black out that bottom signature. So, so the department would come in and his sort of face would, you know, the blood would drain from his face when he realized there's no signatures under his. And he, you can't hide from the responsibility of your decision there. But at the same time, I believe that humans truly want that. They truly want to make decisions. They want to solve problems. They want to engage their brains. And, but, but they sort of get beaten down from bureaucracy, and they sort of accept this um, subordinary life where they're, they're, they're going to work like zombies and just being told what to do, and they tolerate that. And then they go home, and they live their lives. And it's tragic. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes, too, that bureaucracy, the people that are higher up in the bureaucracy can almost use it as a way to to shirk responsibility from the standpoint of, you know, I, I gave – like, I, it'd be very easy to imagine a scenario where you give an impossible order and they can't figure it out. And in, in corporate America, you can then use they're not figuring it out as the reason it never worked. You know, and we call that strategy and implementation, right? And then it's not that the strategy failed, the implementation failed. So I think so often, too, we, we use the hierarchy and the bureaucracy to push responsibility down on people who aren't able to take it either without training them how to do it. giving orders and and doing what you we were told is the number one excuse humans use for doing evil things because it allows them to mentally disconnect their humanity from whatever it is their whatever it is they do the worst things humans ever do are always under the guise of i was just following my orders hmm 
Yeah, and you know what's funny about that is I think the inverse is some of the some of the greatest acts that you know we've ever seen are from people that have take responsibility, right? And and actually understand that they have permission to act now. And even like, I think back when you, you saying that, and I remember, I think it was the Stanley Milgram studies of the, you know, the dial and the electric shocks. Right. And there's a part of that study nobody ever talks about, which is, you know, the, the part everybody talks about is that as you, as people were given orders to increase the voltage, they did it even to the point where they thought they were killing this, um, this quote unquote patient that was really an actor. But there was one subgred, uh, subset of people that when they said, when they were told, you have to do it, you have no choice, that triggered something in their minds that said, no, I, I do have a choice and I'm choosing to take responsibility and no, I'm not going to do it. The only people that resisted were the people that internalized the idea of, no, I have a choice in this matter and I choose to exercise it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, and, and when we, and I don't think you even need to go to those kind of studies, just read any kind of calamity. Uh, the, the, this ferry boat that capsized off Korea, the Costa Concordia that uh, was ran, ran aground off of Italy. And, and there's the villain, in both cases, the captain or the, or the owner of the company. But there always pops up a hero, someone who isn't told to do something, isn't ordered to, but takes it upon themselves to act in the betterment of other people, act to save others, act to help others. And that's what I call an act of greatness. It's very simple. It, it, it could be something, you know, running into a burning building, but it could also be just bending over and tying your little sister's shoes. And I do an activity with my uh, seminars where we sometimes, we start with, you know, what is an act of, think about an act of greatness you may have witnessed. And then what are the characteristics? And I'll tell you, they're always the same thing. Number one, it's always about somebody else. And number two, they're never ordered. No one, no one comes into work and says, oh, yeah, I was ordered to do something great today, and I did it, right? It doesn't work like that. You know, I teach undergraduate students in, uh, in my day job, and what I most often tell them is I try and give them as few orders as possible and watch them freeze, right? I say, go go right. write a go write a great paper. Go create an awesome midterm project. And it's right. like, I, I, I can't do it if you order me, right? right. At the same time, they do awesome stuff in their dorm rooms when I'm not around all the time. Right. And there's an article, uh, Wall Street Journal just had an article talking about um, employers lamenting the lack of critical thinking skills that these undergrads come out of college with, and the idea was, oh, well, we need to teach them more critical thinking skills. That is not the problem. The problem is not that they don't know them, it's that they don't practice them. Because most kids, unlike, or, you know, most, in most environments, we're teaching them to do what they're told, right? Whether it's in their education or their first job or whatever it happens to be. You know, follow your instructions, be a team player, blah, blah, blah. I totally agree. I think it's... Um as a professor, it's one of those things that I simultaneously uh, I totally agree with, and am like trying to figure out how to fix inside this system. But right. one of probably one of the reasons we were talking offline before we started recording. One of the reasons that one of the things that it that resonated with me the most in reading the book, possibly because it's so simple, right, is this idea of intent based leadership. Or it's the chapter is called "I Intend to," because you know so often there are all of these models and modes, and you know I I kind of. You read a book like yours and you're tempted to think through kind of a, a giant eight-stage change model and all of that sort of stuff. And in reality, you've got it down to something pretty simple, and it's just shifting to use of language like I intend to. Tell us a little bit about that intent-based leadership idea. Um, most interested, too, because there's a, a new workbook coming out and how that concept of intent-based leadership has developed since the book came out. 
Right. Well, so I gave this order that couldn't be done. And I realized the problem wasn't that I gave a bad order. The problem was that I gave an order. And so I, I got my guys together and we talked about it. And I said, look, I'm going to stop giving orders. But if you guys just stand around waiting to be told what to do, nothing's going to happen. So you guys just say, I intend to do whatever, submerge the ship, load a torpedo, start up the reactor. And this worked really, really well because for someone to say, when they say, Captain, I intend to, rather than requesting permission, they take psychological ownership of the thing. And, oh, by the way, we get to have a conversation. Okay, you intend to submerge the ship. Is it safe? Oh, yes, Captain. The hatches are shut. All men are below. I've checked the water depth. Okay, well, why, why are we going to submerge the ship? Well, I've looked at the water and I've studied, you know, our plan and, you know, we you know, I talked to my team and I think this is the right time and this is the right location. And so it's in those conversations that they're growing into leaders, which is what you as a leader ultimately want to do. Yeah, I think it provides that awesome. I mean, for one hand, it, it, it simultaneously sort of creates that permission to take to give responsibility to followers and turn them into leaders and also provides the coaching sort of simultaneously. And I think so often in corporate America, we think of those as two different things, right? You go to a training course to learn to be a leader, right. and you get your coaching once a year during your performance evaluation, and that's it, right? And something so simple as I intend to followed by your intent, it creates an opportunity to do both in a short conversation. Yeah, here's a test. If you have an any, any XYZ program, in your company or organization, that means that you're not doing X, Y, Z, right? If you need to have a if you need to have a swimming program, it means people in the normal course of their workday are not swimming. So if you need a leadership program, then it means that people in the normal course of their work are not being developed into leaders. So cancel the leadership development program. Just make the way you run the organization be. A leadership development. <laughs> okay. No, I think, I think that's awesome. I used to. I actually remember I wrote a piece early, early, probably four or five years ago about if you want to really understand how bureaucratic an organization is, look at how many policies they have. Because the more policies they have, the more they've run up against those exact problems. You don't create an X Y Z policy unless somebody has a problem with X Y Z. Same thing. You don't create an X Y Z training program unless there aren't enough people already who know how to do X Y Z. Exactly. Right. And, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, I, I basically have come to the, this may be a little bit strong, overstated, but I, I basically think everything that we think and do about leadership and running organizations is wrong. Uh, so, for example, here's another one. You know, this whole idea of change management and we're going to create an awareness and, um, you know, 20, 20 decades later, people will actually be changed. I call that thinking our way to new action, which I think is wrong. What you really do is we act our way to new thinking. We, we, we try something on a small scale. We actually practice the words, and then that ends up rewiring our brain, and then we become that way. So on the ship, I was really stymied by we all had these little teams. The officers were they versus the enlisted guy. You know, there were all these they's. And um, I said, look, just say we. The word they is outlawed. And so we started saying, you know, we. Uh, engineering would say we to supply. Well, we didn't order the right parts. You know, you just sound silly. So, and six months later, someone came down and said, oh, it's amazing culture of teamwork. 
It's the strongest teamwork culture I've ever seen. And I would joke and say, look, we don't have a culture. What we have is a rule that we use the word we when referring to everybody else in the submarine. And so the rule, and so the lesson, I guess, is that in my mind, we, we act our way to new thinking. We don't think our way to new action. Hmm. And you know what's ironic is that a lot of a lot of research on personal change actually follows in that exactly that that you begin. I don't want to endorse fake it till you make it because I have a problem with fake it till you make it. You may never make it, but it it is true in the idea that your we tend to think that behaviors, thoughts, feelings, emotions follow action, or, or or that actions follow behaviors, thoughts, feelings, and emotions. But in reality, actions usually come first, and behaviors, thoughts, feelings, emotions all come after that. And you know what? What intent based leadership? What the? Uh, I, I guess we wouldn't call it the royal we. We would call it like the the mariner we. I don't know. <laughs> um, what that builds up is exactly what you talked about, and I think I, I think it's one of the things I admired most about it is it's not complex. It's not a model. Of course, I wonder if that creates an interesting thing in all of the speaking and consulting you do when you show up and there's not you know a hundred and fifty slide deck with a comprehensive change leadership model. It's it's more like yeah hey, no here you go let's try this right. Let's abolish this. But I love it because it obviously works and you can't, nothing speaks like, nothing sells like results. Yeah. And, you know, just to kind of go back on that a bit. So I, I, I want to make this a little clear for the listeners, this difference. So if I, I were think our way to new action, I would say, look, thou shalt be empowered, you know, whatever that means. And then, uh, and, and, and sometime later, I would say, look, you know, take more initiative. What, what does it mean? Well, be more, take more initiative. And it's just fuzzy and weird and you can't measure it and all that kind of stuff. But when you say, look, just say these words, I intend to. Don't say request permission to. Don't say may, mother may I. Say I intend to. Now, that's precise and concrete, and it's something that you can do. It's an act. And so... That's the difference between what I mean. And then, and then you become empowered, right? And you feel empowered uh, at six months, you know, six, six days, six hours later, however long it takes. That's the difference. And so we're big fans. And so the, so the workbook has all these little things in it. The, we really try to have a lot of actions. Here's another one that I really like. We call it the coffee challenge because a lot of what I talk about is giving up control. And when you talked about the second order, second layer down, that's hard because you're trying to convince people to give up control. And ooh, that is scary, and that is you know hard for human beings. Uh, so here's one: go get coffee or tea or whatever your favorite beverage is, and and ha and have your friend order for you. Like they get to pick what you're going to have. Oh, ooh, that is scary. You know, what if they get the wrong coffee? Right? <laughs> and uh, but the point is, it, all the same feelings come up. The same feelings of being out of control, and it could be a mistake, and all those. Those are all the feelings that, as a leader, you still have them, but you have to act in the face of those feelings. That's the difference. Hmm. It will feel unnatural. A lady came up to me uh, the other day after one of my talks and said, you know, I read your book a couple months ago. I'm really trying to practice it. But, oh, you know, just, you just, I feel like on the verge of being out of control, on the edge of being out of control, and it's really scary. I said, yeah, you're on the right track. That's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> Not out of control, but on the edge of out of control. 
Yeah, just like like I don't know, like you're sitting on the tip of a nuclear reactor, something like yeah. that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, if you if you want to know more about what it's like to feel uh, on the tip of a nuclear reactor or out of control and growing your leadership, the the book is awesome. The book "Turn Your Ship Around: A True Story of Turning Followers into Leaders." I wonder if now's the time in in the podcast where we switch from the book though and and the thoughts and the ideas to the thinker the ideator, you, and I will ask you a couple questions. Uh, the first being, what are you reading right now? So right now I'm reading Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud because we're working on, on getting the message out, telling stories, connecting with people. And, you know, hey, I'm a nuclear engineer, man. I think in ones and zeros. And I'm trying, and so like I think my brain, like one half, my whatever side is does that is highly developed. The other other side is like a little prune, you know, the storytelling, the um, you know, the visual arts, that kind of stuff. That was all you know, foofy stuff. I didn't pay any attention to. So now I've got to get smart on that. But more importantly, it's because I think this is an important message for people to hear and leaders to embrace because leaders out there sort of sense there's something wrong and they're frustrated with people who aren't thinking and being engaged and the people are frustrated too, but they really don't know the answer. And I, and I think it would help them to know you're not alone. And it's not that you need to try and do what you're doing better. It's that probably the, the image of what you, what you think you're trying to do is probably wrong. Hmm. Hmm. So it's uh, understanding comics. No, that's Scott, good. Uh, I, we- we were we were talking offline about that that exact um, offline before the, we were talking before the interview started recording about that and it's one of those books that I've had in the wish list for a long time and and <laughs> and you're another an additional recommendation to it so it just moved up in the order in in the wish list which is which is awesome the other question and I think I know the answer of this speaking of books is is what's next for you what are you working on right now well we just launched the work but I mean turn the ship around was the original book with the story and then we just launched turn your ship around today thanks for uh, helping us support the launch uh the workbook what we're working on a couple things one of them is we're collecting stories from people who are now been implementing this idea and we're gonna we're gonna have a book which captures them there's some really interesting ones like for example there's a baseball college baseball team where the coach the batting coach stopped telling the kids what to do. You know, they go up on deck, right? They're going to about to hit the ball or they go up to, to bat. And the last thing is the coach would typically say, okay, now, you know, uh, for this pitcher, you know, choke up or whatever it is. He just stopped saying that. And they had the kids tell him what their plan was. They didn't use the word intend to. They just, they just said, my plan. My plan is blank. And they, they went from worst to first in their league in batting. And then the batting coach ended up getting hired as head coach very next year. Just, this just happened, a head coach at another school. So, uh, you know, amazing, fun, cool things like that. So we're doing that. And I'm also working on a book on language. And this is just sort of a cloud in my head at, the, at this point. But the idea is I, I think so much of our language is not helpful. And I call it there's a lot of, sort of the sins, seven deadly sins, which is, Things like, you know, don't tell people what to do. Don't tell people what they think. Don't tell people why they did what they did, right? Oh, you, you're always like that. Oh, that's just because you're, you know, you just did that because you're tired. Oh, you know, like, you know, all these things are just not helpful. And uh, so we're, we're, we're working on that. 
some of the best ones come from the um, seminars and workshops. I get to, I get these executives doing these role plays and this, like the things that come out of their mouths are just stunning. (laughs) No, I think that's awesome. How how we, how we speak is how we think, right? And so we need, we need to think more about how we speak so we can be a more, a little more deliberate in it, but a little more intentional, if you will, and exercise some intent-based leadership, even in our speaking. So there you go. Well, the books again, turn, turn the ship around and the workbook is turn your ship around. Um, check them out. If you have not read turn the ship around already, just, just get both and read them alongside each other. It's brilliant. But In the meantime, David, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Well, thank you, and best of luck to all your listeners. Have a great, 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 great day. Hey everybody, it's David from the Leader Lab Podcast. I just want to thank you for being a part of this community and for listening to this podcast episode. And I want to remind you that you can get even more content from us if you connect with us online. We're at Twitter, twitter.com slash LDRLB, Facebook, facebook.com slash LDRLB. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast in either iTunes or Stitcher, or just subscribe to our email newsletter and we'll email you every single time we post a new episode. Thanks so much for being a part of the community. Look forward to giving you even more great content.